Okay, uh, last week, um, Dom, of course, took and gave an introduction to the book that we're going to be teaching out of. Um, some of you were expecting Revelation. I kept working on that, Adrian, and it just wasn't happening. So where'd Adrian go? Right here. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you left. Okay, <laughs> you, I thought you were over here. I thought maybe you left. Um, well, we're still staying in Turkey. Was that? We're still in Turkey. Well, yes, we're still in Turkey. So. Um, the, the book that I settled on was Colossians for a couple reasons. It's a little bit shorter, and I kind of like to split the year between Old and New Testament. We went through the four short books of the Bible. It took us a long time to go through those, but we went through those four short books, Philemon and then 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. Colossians is one of the shorter books that Paul wrote. Um, it's a book that I've never taught on before, which attracted me to it as well. And I do think it's a timely book for our, um, the world that we live in. Um, Colossians, Dom of course gave an introduction to that last week, but Colossians um, is a book that's written primarily because an error had crept into the Colossian church. And that error is actually a little hard to pin down. It was a heresy. We'll talk about it some here at the beginning. I know Dom did a good job on that last week, but it'd be good to just review a little bit of that. Um, this error had crept in and Paul was concerned for the church. This is not a church that Paul started. Uh, as far as we know, he hadn't even visited it, but he is an apostle and he's concerned about the churches and he writes this book to them to correct the error. But what is fascinating is the way that he corrects the error is primarily to lift up Jesus Christ because in the course of their error, Jesus had been reduced to almost no status. He, he was, uh, maybe he had come and died on the cross, but the meaning for them of who Christ was was totally different than what we would think of when we think of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul elevates Christ, uh, lifts him up um, to uh, the proper place as to who he should be. So in some ways, the theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. Um, there's another book in the New Testament that's like that. That's the book of Hebrews. If you've ever read Hebrews, you know that the key word in Hebrews is better. Christ is better. He's better than all these other things. Colossians does something similar. It's going to say, here's what you believe, but here's what's true about Jesus Christ. And if you have the proper view of Jesus Christ, then those heresies will fade away. I think that's true in our society as well, isn't it? <laughs> there's a lot of junk out there. There's all sorts of, uh, there's the new age movement and there is uh, people who are just rejecting that God exists. You hear it all the time now. Well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Well, w what does that even mean? I guess it means you believe in some sort of higher force, higher power, but you have no, nothing tangible there to deal with. There's no facts behind your, your spirituality. We have uh, radio preachers that are teaching heretical teachings, denying Christ or the importance of Christ, and very, very popular. Just go into, uh, sadly, some Christian bookstores, go over to Kmart and walk through their book aisle and look at all the devotional literature and don't buy any of it because it's all bad, right? Or most of it. Uh, there might be some good in there, but you're gonna have to weed through it. We live in a society that's gonna have some of the same issues. 
And the solution is the same. Raise up Jesus Christ. Lift him up. So um, let me just really quickly um, go through and look at the heresy that was there. And again, I know Dom did this last week, but it'd be good as we start to do it. Um, the first thing is that uh, Paul calls what they're dealing with, he doesn't call it necessarily religion, he calls it a philosophy. If you look at verse 2-8 in Colossians, um, Colossians 2-8, Paul refers to this as an empty philosophy. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. These are Greeks. Philosophy is a big deal. They sit around and they think about everything. And if your thoughts seem superior to somebody else or you can argue for your thoughts, then those thoughts are, have some value. And Paul's saying, no, this is just a philosophy. This isn't based in anything. Um, second, they placed great emphasis, apparently, on um, circumcision, uh, feast days, and Sabbaths, and dietary laws. So does that tell you that they were either Jews or were they just strongly influenced by the Jews? Uh, we don't know, and that, that's the thing. We don't know much about it. All we're doing is picking up little pieces from the book itself. And so uh, let's look at a couple of those verses. Chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, the philosophy is kind of described. It says, it's talking about uh, circumcision. Him, you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Paul addresses circumcision. There probably was a teaching similar to in Galatia that you have to be recircumcised, or you have to be not recircumcised, you have to be circumcised to be a believer. Um, then if you keep on going, jump down to verse 14. Um, says by canceling um, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross referring to the legal demands of the law jump down to verse uh, 16 therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Um, so there was teachings that you have to obey the dietary laws. Now, the question will be, and we'll answer it in a second, Matt, so just hold on to it. Does that mean there's a Jewish element here? There might be. Um, but it also might be that it is a philosophy that just added in some Jewish elements to it, and there might be a reason for doing that. Um, there was... Um, an emphasis on um, powers, we could call them angels or principalities, powers uh, that were to be worshipped or placated. Worshipped may not be the right word, but there were some other beings out there that were important enough that they needed to be taken into account. So look at verse chapter 2, verse 15. <coughs> Excuse me. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
And if you go down to verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, um, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Um, and then you may have heard it in there, there was also an ascetic element to it. Um, there was some form of asceticism involved. Um, as far as we know, this type of thinking didn't take place in other places. In other words, this kind of this mishmash of ideas. Um, there was a philosophy um, at the time which said that the flesh is evil and the body is, and, and the spirit is good, right? Flesh is evil, spirit is good. By the way, is that still with us? Yeah? There's kind of that belief that the flesh is evil and the spirit is good, and we, and we get a little bit of that from Paul when he, he refers to the evil part of our nature as the flesh, but they actually thought that this stuff we were made of was evil, right? Well, then how does God communicate with man? And the idea was, was that God was up here and he was spirit, and man was down here and he was flesh and evil. And so what happened was from God came emanations, um, beings that were intermediaries between God and man. And the first being, I'm just gonna use, uh, the, I don't know if they would have ever used these numbers, but the first being is 90% God, 10% flesh. Okay, so God communicates with this, this being that's just slightly below him. By the way, that would go, we'd have a problem already with God's holiness, right? <laughs> What difference if it's 10% impure? But th th even so, how does God communicate with man? You've got God up here, and then this being that's sort of a hybrid, and then that one communicates one that's 80% spiritual and 20% physical, and all the way down until we get to who? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is God representing. So all of these angels and angelic beings are between God and man, and Christ becomes the lowest of those beings. What does that do to our understanding of Jesus Christ? What does that do to our understanding of Jesus Christ? Uh, it just, uh, it, he, he's nothing. He's just one out of this string. What we really wanna do is get back up to the, the top, to the spiritual. So they would focus on the spiritual aspect of their life without any idea of how to do that. And you usually swung over into one of two separate camps. You either just said that the body is so evil, don't even worry about it, just focus on the spiritual. Live your life however you want, Be debauch uh, live a debauched lifestyle, and just, and just have as, as much pleasure as you want but just concentrate on your spirit, okay? The other aspect was to say, no, we put our flesh down, we give no pleasure to the flesh, we, we become very ascetic in our thinking so that we separate ourselves and we deny ourselves food and drink and pleasure of any form so that the spirit is allowed to grow, okay? Those are the two uh, things that have taken place. Now here's what I think's happened, Matt. They're, they, they've got 
that basic mentality and what they did was they took a little patina of Judaism and dropped it into there, right? Because the Jews asked for circumcision, which is a cutting off of the flesh. And the Jews had dietary laws and the Jews had their um, feast days and all of these rules. But I don't think they were Jews. I think they simply adopted that as part of that part of it. Gave a kind of a patina of, of spirituality. And the point is that it's all man-made, right? <laughs> None of it's true. And Paul is saying we need to deal with that particular issue. How do I deal with it? I'm not going to get into a philosophical arguing match. I'm going to lift up Jesus Christ, right? We're going to show you who Jesus Christ is. And if you want to be over here, then you've, you, you either don't understand who Christ is or, or uh, you're just extremely foolish. So watch what it says about Jesus Christ. Uh, go to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, in one of the great passages in the New Testament. Uh, talking about, in mind, says the preeminence of Christ. And by the way, this is all through this book. It's not just here. Uh, we're going to see it all the way through. That Christ just peca- uh, is exalted as we go through. But here we go, First uh, Colossians 1.15. He, talking about Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, by the way, that is a... Uh, interesting choice of words because you could say well he's firstborn that means he was uh, created but firstborn means preeminent means overall Um, in in creation he is over all of creation he's the preeminent the firstborn was the preeminent son he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he, in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Christ, of his cross. Um, so we see all of the things that Jesus is, <clears throat> and it's nothing like what they were believing. And as a result, Christ is, is lifted up and glorified. So that's kind of a review. I know Dom did a lot of that last week. Um, and many of you were here and heard that. But it, it's important to have that foundation as we start the, the book. Any comments or questions on the, on to this point? Would firstborn refer to Adam at all in this text? No. Was that? Would firstborn refer to Adam at all in this context or no? I don't think so. Um, Adam was the firstborn of of humanity, but actually Christ is the firstborn of all creation and of course is greater than than Adam himself. Of course, way greater than Adam. He's the second Adam who brings life instead of death. So, um, all right, yeah, um, I'd have to think, I don't know if Adam's mentioned, Adam's talked about a lot in Romans 5 when it compares the, the first Adam with the second Adam, so. Um, all right, well then let's do this, let's take Yep. Oh, Ryan. Could this be one of the passages, I know uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Christ is the lesser God. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Since he is the firstborn of creation, then he is a created being. Um, but again, firstborn of all creation, if you go to the end of that passage, remember, uh, it, it, it kind of clarifies that he's the firstborn from the dead so that he may be preeminent. The idea here is that, that Christ taking on flesh is the preeminent one of all, uh, all physical of the entire created universe um, he, because he did take on flesh. Um, and that, of course, if we go back to that idea that there was this whole string of he is preeminent over, of, over everything, over all of creation, Darla. Uh, you know, I mean, I think, I think it would be firstborn over all who are raised physically as well. Anybody who's dead and come to life, Christ is the firstborn of that. Yeah, he is preeminent over that. He is the one who gives life to those who are dead. So, all right, any other comments before we go on? All right, I had hoped to get through verse eight. I don't know if we're gonna do that, but let's, let's start. Um, we have an introduction, and then we have a thanksgiving, and then we have a prayer. Um, Paul introduces himself and the book, and then he gives a little prayer of thanksgiving for the Colossians themselves. Um, actually, a, a, he, he offers up thanksgiving to God, and then he offers a prayer for them. Um, not every book does this in the New Testament. In fact, I took some time this week and went through and looked at the different books. Um, only um, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians begin with both, both a, a kind of a hymn of thanksgiving or telling them what he's thankful for and then a prayer that they offer for him. Um, uh, some of them offer thanksgiving, some will be a prayer. There's one book that doesn't do any of those. You might know what it is. It's Galatians. Read Galatians. Paul gives his intro and immediately he is blasting them because of their heresy. I mean, it is, right? It's Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then I am amazed that you are so quickly departed from the gospel. I actually think that's a little significant because this is a similar book. There's an error that's being written about, but he still finds something to be thankful for, which means that either the heresy hasn't gone as deep or the heresy isn't as, um, as serious to Paul as the one in, in Galatia, or there's something different, or maybe because Paul doesn't have a relationship with this church, uh, he feels like um, to, to, to spend some time telling them about the good things uh, is important. You start off by talking to somebody, if you write a letter, they've never even met you before and immediately you're blasting them, that may not be the most effective thing to do. But I just think it's interesting. There is a difference between this and the other book that's like it, which is Galatians. Um, so let's go ahead and look at the introduction. It's a pretty standard introduction. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um, those of you who know your New Testament know that that is how Paul starts many, many of his books. Um, 
most of the books, unless he has a very close personal relationship, his first thing he'll do is tell them he's an apostle. What's an apostle? What's the word mean? Um, yeah, it's actually one who's seen Christ and been commissioned by Christ. The word apostle actually means a sent one. He's one who's been sent. In some ways, missionaries are apostles. They're sent out by the church, but they don't have apostolic authority like Paul would. So he is an apostle. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's who he has been sent um, to represent is Christ Jesus. And he has been sent by the will of God. So this is God's plan to send Paul. And I think it's important in this book because he does not have a relationship with this church um, in the sense of having started it or been there, that he is establishing his credentials when he begins. Of course, any book that Paul would read would have the same authority. Um, Philemon, he doesn't start by calling himself an apostle. He calls himself a servant because he's gonna deal with a particular issue. And then there are a couple of churches like Thessalonians and um, one other one, Philippians, where he does not start by saying he's an apostle because he has a, a rela- they know he's an apostle. Um, and then it says that it's to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Are, are those two the same thing, saints and faithful brothers? Rod doesn't think so. What's the difference, Rod? Okay. 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 Um, I guess in that culture where you are under persecution, that uh, often that that they may not have had quite that distinction, but um, my guess is they kind of banded together, but. But um, that would be another, another idea, that there is a distinction between these two. Um, I kind of go with what Rod says, although I'll have to be honest, a number of the commentaries said it's really the same thing being said two different ways. Um, the word saint does not mean, we all know this, right? Doesn't mean you're somehow holier than everybody else. It just means set apart. You're set apart in Jesus Christ. Um, we are all saints, uh, like Rod said, if you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because of the nature of this book where he's going to be dealing with error, um, I, I wonder if this letter is addressed also to those uh, second group who are remaining faithful in Christ Jesus. They are holding fast to the teachings that they had. Um, but there's a debate on that. I just find it interesting. One last thing in this introduction, and that is, well, there's also... Uh, grace to you and peace, but notice what it says, to the saints and faithful brothers, um, where? What's the next little phrase? I'm wondering if everybody's Bible says, in Christ, and then what? At Colossae. In Christ, at Colossae. Um, it's It's a minor thing, but isn't that an interesting way to say it? Um, they are, their primary identity 
is to be in Christ. The secondary issue is where they are physically located. This is in the world, but not of the world. Um, R.C. Sproul will take to ask people, or at least somebody told a story of being asked by him, um, where do you live? It was at a conference, and he said, I live in Chicago. And he goes, oh, um, I, I figured you would say, I live in Christ. I live in Christ at Chicago. He goes, because you're not in Chicago right now, right? And the guy's like, well, no, that's where my, that's where I spend most of my time. Well, no, we spend all of our time in Christ, and we just happen to be at Kingsburg, right? So somebody asks you, where do you live? Boy, that would be, an, uh, there would be a, a, a spiritual answer. Where do you live? I live in Christ, but I live in Christ at Kingsburg. But it's, it's an interesting thought because sometimes our physical location determines an awful lot. We think of ourselves as being of this world, whereas Paul is making it clear. You're in Christ, you are at Colossae. This is your physical location, but your true identity is that of one who is in Christ. And I do think if you stop and think about that, it, it would change the way we thought about things if we thought in those terms. Sometimes we, we forget that we are in Christ, that that's the purpose. And then finally, we have in the introduction, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very typical greeting of Paul, but as Christians, we should be... Um, overwhelmed by the grace that has been given to us, which then leads to peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the grace that we have through Christ, which leads to peace with, with God. Um, so that is the introductions. Any comment on the introduction? I'm looking at our time. How long has that been hanging down here? Okay, it's, it just fell? Okay, very good, very good. Sorry about that. All right. Um, any comments on that part of it? Okay. <clears throat> you know what I think we're going to do? Because I, I was going to, but there's just no way to even begin it. Um, let's take the last 10 minutes here and do something that we used to always do when we began a book at this church. Anybody remember? Anybody old enough to remember that? What would we do when we started? Was that? We would read the entire book. Um, and we did that all the way along until we got to the book of Hebrews. And then <laughs> I was like, I kept waiting for the pastor to read all of Hebrews. And he said, we're not doing that this time. But this is a short book. So let's take the last 10 minutes. By the way, watch for the supremacy of Christ and watch for some of these ideas to sort of pop up periodically throughout the book. Um, because he, he'll come back to them and he'll make reference to those things. Um, <clears throat> so let me go ahead and you follow along with me. This, of course, is um, the uh, uh, ESV, which is what we use at, uh, at Grace. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, begin, uh, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you, for those have had, I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mercy, mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily, dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, <clears throat> in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have a deed and appearance of wisdom in promoting, uh, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual impure immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you also, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, <coughs> kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, 
uh, with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance, the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Ministers treat, or masters, excuse me, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door uh, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Therefore, I may make it clear which is how, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, um, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have become a comfort to me, been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God, in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in uh, Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to uh, Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So as you can see, it's a rich book. It's hard to read through that. I know it's easy to get lost as we go through, but um, it, it is a magnificent book, lifting up Christ, <coughs> explaining what is um, what God um, what it means to love each other and to be faithful to, to Jesus Christ. So we've got a good uh, few weeks ahead of us. Uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer.